Help us today. Give us wisdom as we teach your word and listen and help us to learn. And we just praise in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, regeneration. Our regeneration. Um, <clears throat> before you look at your notes, which you may have already done, if I end up down there somewhere, it's because this wind tunnel's coming through somewhere. Anyway, what's the meaning of regeneration? Just top of your head, what is regeneration? You hear that word. We throw out all these words all the time, right? So. Okay. Yeah, the Holy Spirit works in regeneration, definitely, yeah. Okay, change of heart. I guess the word I use is, how about the old-fashioned term, born again, or the, old, the term Jesus used, which is very old-fashioned, first century, or new birth. But regeneration, according to Grudem, is a secret act of God in which he imparts new spiritual life to us. So that's his work. He's giving us life, and uh, it's, it's all from him. Um, and so we call it born again, or the, the term can be born from above. <clears throat> born from above means, you know, obviously God's giving us a new birth, spiritual birth, and it's his work. Um, what about the author of regeneration? And we just said that. You know, in some areas of our spiritual life, we participate in things like, you know, uh, we cooperate. Like, uh, you know, even though conversion, we believe salvation is a gift of God, faith is a gift of God. But nevertheless, we respond, right? We respond to this gift. So that's part of it. Um, God doesn't believe the gospel for us, in other words. Same is true of sanctification. God is working in our hearts, right, and bringing us closer to himself, but he tells us to do things like we're to be fight the good fight of faith, and we are. To, God doesn't read our Bible for us. He doesn't pray for us. We're to do those things. So we have uh, things that we do, um, and, uh, and we rely on the Spirit and sanctification, but we must, as we, just, we just covered... Uh, um, holiness by J.C. Ryle in our Wednesday night studies for a long time. And he, he emphasized again and again all those verses in the Bible that talk about, yeah, God is working in our hearts, right, to bring us to him closer to Christ and to conform us to Christ and all these things throughout our lifetime. But we nevertheless do all these, we do our part as well, you know. Um, and uh, as far as we are, you know, we have to come close to him, we draw near to him and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of verses we could look at. Uh, but when it comes to re regeneration or a new birth, that's solely the work of God. Now, I'm talking about regeneration as opposed to conversion right now, okay? Regeneration, the man, is, I'm going to quote from MacArthur, man is entirely passive. God is the sole active agent in bringing about the creative miracle of a new birth. So we don't, you know, we don't uh, do some work to bring about the new birth. You know, God births us. He brings us into the new birth. He gives us birth by the Spirit. So look at John 3, the famous passage. John 3, 3 to 8. John 3, 3 to 8. I wonder if we had a meet in the, what if we had a meet in the other room. Should we meet in another room right now? We don't want to disturb you guys in your setup and all that. Okay, if you're doing, okay, all right. Okay. John 3, 1, there was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I said, say to you, unless one is born of 
water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it's going. So everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus is still rather puzzled. How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? <laughs> you don't understand these things. Um, so uh, anyway, um, born again, we said can mean born from above. The illustration is used of human birth here. And child, children don't, you know, the child conceived doesn't contribute to his own birth, obviously, right? So he doesn't anything, do anything that causes him to be born into the world. His parents bring him in. And that's how Jesus illustrates it. So God, as we're saying regeneration, and we're talking about regeneration now, God, God does this work, right? All right, turn to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> a lot of people don't, you know, a lot of people read verse 12. They don't seem to want to read verse 13 for some reason. I don't know why. Uh not to mention the whole chapter is interesting, but uh, John 1, 12, what does that say, Jimmy, 12 and 13? Yeah, people not born again by blood. In other words, by bloodlines, you know, the, in a natural way that would come down through their natural means. There's no natural means of salvation, per se. Um, like First Peter says, we're not redeemed by silver and gold from our former manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ, right? So it's, it's not, it's, yeah, the blood of Christ is involved, obviously, in the death of Christ, but not natural means to uh, the new birth, but supernatural. You can't look to your heritage or your ancestors, or any of that, you know, for salvation. And a uh, child of God, it says also, is not born in the will of the flesh. You can't just exercise your will, per se, in and of yourself, as you're a spiritually dead person. You know, Ephesians 2, you're spiritually dead in your sins. And now I'm going to say, okay, I demand, I'm, I'm exercising my will alone, because the Holy Spirit has to work in your heart, right? And, and, and bring you to this understanding. And so, uh, the will of flesh, you can't just do that on his own, nor is he born of the will of man, similar statement. Can't bring any, there's no efforts involved in salvation, no physical, there's no uh, works, no efforts, and so on. We know this, it's by faith, right? Um, and so, people are born from above, it says. But verse 13 says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of what? But of God, right? We're born of God. And the power of God alone, and, the, and God's purpose alone, and he's the one who brings about salvation. We have to understand that. Go to 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3. Dave, how long do you have to go on this theology? Yeah. Like, how many, where do you end at? Salvation? Soteriology? Is that where you, where do you end your three-year thing? In other words, you said you had one class left in theology, right? This is the last one? Yeah. Salvation, okay, is where you end. Okay, First Peter 1, 3. Um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be what? 
See, we talk about John 3 being the born-again passage, but this is mentioned elsewhere, too. He's caused to be born again according to a, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So it's his great mercy that causes, but he caused us. God caused us to be born again. Go to 1 John 3, 9. 1 John 3, 9. You can see this different places. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because the seed abides in him, he cannot sin because he's born of God, right? So we're, the, the new birth is from God is the point I'm trying to make here. He's the author of regeneration. Author of regeneration. All right, see the nature of regeneration. Nature of re regeneration. There's two words. Look at Matthew 19, 28. There's two words in Greek New Testament for regeneration. One is in Matthew 19, 28. Matthew 19, 28. says in G verse 27, Peter said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, that's the word, regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit, will sit on his glorious throne, so you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So the word uh, regeneration here is renovation of the creation that will begin in the millennial kingdom. And, and will come to consummation in the new heavens and the new earth. So we're talking about the millennial kingdom now and the 12 thrones and all this stuff that we've talked about many times. And that word is used, the same word for regeneration is used here. Go to Titus 3.5. This, this is a key verse on regeneration regarding salvation. That word regarded the millennial kingdom when things are made new in that sense. This is regarding salvation. Titus 3.5. Uh, well, look, look at uh, before this. Go to uh, verse 3. He's telling the, the people, don't malign anyone, be peaceable and gentle, and so on. Verse 3. For we also were once foolish ourselves, he says. This is our past. Disobedient. This is before we were saved. Disobedient. Deceived. Enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. Spending our life in malice and envy. Hateful. Hating one another. That's how we were. That's a bad picture, right? That's how we were before we were salvation. Now, if people are acting like this after they're saved. They got, a, they got a problem, right? Maybe they never were saved. If they're always acting like this, at least. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the, what? the washing of regeneration. There's that word again. And renewing by the Holy Spirit. And she was mentioning, Sally was mentioning how the Holy Spirit has his part in this. This is salvation. So he takes, you know, vessels of wrath. He takes people that were hateful, hating one another, and malice and all this stuff, enslaved to all kinds of evil and sin. And, he, and he, he regenerates them. He makes them, he gives them a new birth, right? He makes them new creation in Christ. And he, he renews them by the Holy Spirit. Totally new cre creation in Christ. And uh, this is similar to John 3, 5, which speaks of the water and the Spirit. Washington regeneration, it says here. Now, this John 3 has been looked at a lot, the new birth, and, and what is it, what they're referring to, you know, all this kind of thing. And a lot of studies have been done about this. And uh, the, what I like is uh, what, if he, what Ezekiel 36 says about this. And uh, this is not 
this is not, you know, uh, if you, I brought this up one time and people nearly flipped out when I set it up. It's just from the Old Testament. Don't, you don't need to get all bent out of shape about it. But look, at, look over to Ezekiel 36, 25. I know, we're not supposed to go to Ezekiel, right, ever? It's like the forgotten book. Ezekiel 36, 25. Um, now think about what Jesus told uh, Nicodemus. Except you were born of water and of the Spirit. You'll not enter the kingdom of God. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. In so many words, he says, how can these things be? And he says, you don't know what I'm talking about here? Okay. So, people have done work on this. Look what Ephesians, or rather, Ezekiel 36, 25 and 26 says. Um, and uh, it says, talking about a future, well, we go to verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, for the, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations when you, where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will prove, will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among, among you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. A lot of people don't like that either. Then I will sprinkle, now think about this in relationship to John 3. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filth and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Um, and so, it's, you know, this is, MacArthur and his guys say this metaphorically describes regeneration as being sprinkled with clean water and being given a new heart. We may conclude that regeneration speaks of cleansing from sin and a creation of spiritual life. It's a purifying renovation. So many today think that, and I, I think this is right, that the language in John 3 comes from Ezekiel 36, this idea of water and cleansing and all these kind of things. Whereas a lot of people thought, um, you know, maybe the water had to do with baptism. Have you heard that? Well, this is, there's a lot of people that interpret John 3, the water is being baptized. You've you got to be saved by being baptized, which is, of course, not what the Scripture teaches. But basically, regeneration is God imparting spiritual life into the spiritually dead sinner. You've got a spiritually dead sinner, and God regenerates this person. He imparts spiritual life into this person, okay? Gives him a new life. That can be illustrated by John 11. What's John 11 about? Just as an illustration. Who died in John 11? Lazarus, right? And uh, Lazarus dies and is buried and is in the tomb. And what, what happens in John eleven forty three? 43? What does Jesus say? And he said he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus forth. Yeah, he came forth and he did. And that's what happens in regeneration. That's an, just, just an illustration, okay? Uh, it's, in other words, you have the spiritually dead sinner, Ephesians 2. And, and Jesus says to the spiritually dead sinner, and, and so in effect, you know, come forth in a new life, you know, out of your spiritual deadness. And you can see that, that's how, that, so this is just an illustration of how it looks, okay? Now, how that happens is a mystery. How the new birth happens is a mystery. We know that God works in the human heart. Can we detail the process exactly? Well, go to John 3 again. Go back to John 3. Steve, can you turn to 2 Corinthians 5 as well? John 3, and, uh, okay, John 3, 8. Why do I say this is a mystery? 
Because Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again in verse 7. Don't be amazed. I'm, talk, I'm talking about this, Nicodemus. You should know this stuff anyway. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. But you do not know where it comes from or where it's going, so everyone who's born of the Spirit. So this is somewhat of a mystery as to how, this, how the Spirit works, how this all takes place. That's God's business anyway, right? We just trust him to, to make us, you know, new creation in Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. What does that say, Steve? Yeah, so if a person is born again and everybody says they're born again. Remember the, back in the day there was a time when everybody was born again. Everybody was talking about, born. yeah, we're all born again. Everybody's born again. Well, how come nobody's life is changing, you know? Everybody's the same spiritually dead center they were to begin with. You, if you have new life imparted into your soul, you have new spiritual life from God, then you have a changed life, right? You're a new creation in Christ. Um, anyway, so that's, that's something about how it takes place. D, the means of regeneration. What are the means that are used? What is the instrumentality that's used in regeneration? What is it that God uses uh, that's uh, tangible? Now, we know that he, it's a mystery. He works. The Holy Spirit does not work somehow in the human heart and all these things. What is the tangible thing that he uses? The what? Proclamation. Yeah, proclamation of the gospel, or we can say the word of God. And we're, we're going to look at verses of that effect. Look, go to James 1.18. James chapter 1.18. <clears throat> James 1.18. In the exercise of his will, the exercise of God's will. Whose will? Exercise of God's will, right? Uh... It says, he brought us forth, that's the new birth, he brought us forth by what? By what? The word of truth, right? That we should be a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So, <clears throat> what does he use to bring us into uh, the new birth? The scriptures, right? The word of God. Preaching the gospel, and preaching the word, those kind of things. Go to First Peter 1.23. First Peter 1.23. Or verse 22, <clears throat> since you have been, since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perish perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God, right? For all flesh is like grass, he quotes Isaiah. All its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. This is the word which was preached to you. So he's saying the, the instrumentality or the means that, that brings you to the point of having a new birth is the scriptures, right? The word of God. So when the word, when you hear it or you read it or, you, or you, someone preaches it or whatever, then you're able to hear the message, okay? That gives the tangible, you know, God the tangible uh, thing that he uses to bring us to himself. Go to 2 Thessalonians 2.14. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. And there it says, uh, verse 13, We should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation 
through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this that he called you through our gospel, <clears throat> that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, he called you through, he called you, God called you through what? Our gospel, right? He, he, he put out the call to salvation. If he did that through our gospel, we had to preach the gospel. We had to preach the word. So the word of God is used in your salvation, okay? Now, as, as I said, John 3, 5 is used by some to promote baptismal regeneration. I think the Catholics believe that about John 3, if I'm not mistaken. That's one of the things they do. Well, you know, you guys, so they have the six-month-old baby, you know, baptized. Well, you guys were former Catholics, right? And uh, were you guys immersed, when, or not immersed, were you, <laughs> not immersed, were you sprinkled when you were children, yeah. babies, six months old? Uh, newborn. newborn, really. How old? Really? Okay. Less, less than I thought. So that, that was my understanding of Catholic doctrine is that that grace is dispensed through baptism and it gives, gets you on the road to salvation. Is that correct? And then you've got to do good stuff, good deeds and so on? Is that how it goes? That's what I've read at least. You're an infant, so you don't know. Yeah. I know. As an infant, you don't know. But later on... Confirmation. Yeah. I used to come across people we'd, we'd talk to and, and witness to and stuff, and they'd say, oh, yeah, we've got to go to confirmation class. They're always talking about that. But, so, yeah, um, but they promote baptismal regeneration that way. I never forget the guy. I don't know if I told you about the, my neighbor across the street who went to a, another kind of church, not a Catholic church, who never went to church. I invited him to our church, and he never came. But then he had a baby, <clears throat> and six months later, he decided, man, i got to get my baby like religious or something here. So he took him to his church, and he came back that day. He was across the street. He was after church, and I pulled up after church. He had just gotten there. He was on his front porch. I was on my front porch. His name was Mark, too. His wife was Sandy. His first ch child was Matthew, just like mine. And I'm like, this is so bizarre. So he yells across the way, hey, Mark, I just got my son baptized. He was beaming from ear to ear. And I just stared at him, and I thought, what do I say to that, you know? Because I'd already talked to this guy, and, but that's what he thought. But a lot of people think that, you know? <clears throat> you got to get them, get the, get the little baby sprinkled or whatever. <clears throat> why is that not true in John 3, though? Why is John 3, why is this not true of John 3, that it's baptismal regeneration? Water in the Spirit. Where's this water coming from? I believe it's coming from Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, personally. But <clears throat> Purification or uh, spoken of in purification. But anyway, wh where's this baptism coming from? I know some people think it's, it's the uh, physical birth. I get that. I understand. Um, because Jesus doesn't mention baptism anywhere in connection with, this, with Nicodemus. The rest of the chapter doesn't make any, rec any, any reference to baptism, per se. Go, go to John 3, 15. What, what does it make reference to? Faith, right? John 3, 15, whoever believes will, in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world, verse 16, he gave his only son, begotten son. Whoever believes in him, verse 18, who, he who believes in him is not judged. He who doesn't believe is. Verse 36, um, he who believes in his son has eternal life. And it goes on like that. But he doesn't say anything about baptism anywhere. He doesn't mention it, per se. He mentions water. Yeah, that's right. Usually it's a system of like six or seven things, you, and baptism is the first on the list. You know? We've got to do this first. Church of Christ does this too. 
But Jesus, another thing, Jesus expects Nicodemus to understand what he is saying. He expects him to understand. How would Nicodemus understand what he was saying? I would think he would have to understand the Old Testament to understand what he was saying. And, uh, but Christian baptism didn't exist. Christian baptism did not exist at that time. John the Baptist was baptizing for repentance, preparing people for Christ, but not Christian baptism per se. So, I <clears throat> can't see that it's teaching that. <clears throat> so MacArthur's guys in his theology book say this. They say, uh, uh, this has got to do with the... Uh, it says here, the Old Testament often employs, listen to this, the Old Testament often employs the imagery of water and spirit <clears throat> to symbolize spiritual cleansing and renewal, never baptism. And he talks, and he quotes, there's Numbers passage, 19, Isaiah 4, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 56, Joel 55, Joel 2, Zechariah 13, and so on. And Ezekiel's prophecy, Ezekiel 36, of the new covenant, he famously speaks of both water and spirit in, in the context of regeneration. This is he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. We just looked at this. You shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. From all your idols will I cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful, obey my rules, new covenant. Surely this was the truth Jesus had in mind <clears throat> when he spoke of being born of water and the spirit. He was declaring that regeneration was the truth revealed through the Old Testament. And thus a truth which Nicodemus should have been familiar. Against this Old Testament backdrop, Christ's point was unmistakable. Without the spiritual washing of a soul, a cleansing accomplished by the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5, and solely by means of the Word of God, uh, no one can enter God's kingdom. Given this proper understanding of John 3.5, the doctrine of baptismal regeneration is shown to be without biblical basis. The gospel itself is the sole instrument of the new birth. So I just wanted to read that to you to let you know that this is something that a lot of good men are, are saying they're, they're, they're going back to Ezekiel 36 okay, on the John 3 passage and I think it's, it's def, definitely worth considering. Alright, any con, uh, questions or comments or, on uh, regeneration? What happened to the other notes? Oh, yeah, 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 I will do this, and I will, I will make you clean, so on, yeah. Right. I think one of the things we need to do, Peter Cologne, this is a good why he's here anyway. He's always, it's always good to have him but, in the family. But because you're going to hear that, oh, okay. You're going to hear that, uh, I don't know if you want one of these or not, but anyway. What you're going to hear is this. One of the things you'll hear in this, now he's going to do something else, but his, them being here tells us what? The Old Testament is important, right? <laughs> you study the Old Testament. All right. Conversion. Conversion. Now, regeneration dealt with. That's God giving spiritual life, imparting life, life from above, born from above, born again. Now we're going to talk about our response to that new birth that God provides. We call that conversion. Regeneration is a perspective from God's side, okay? He's make, giving us a new birth. Conversions from our perspective, we're responding to what, you know, the gospel. Grudem says in his theology book, conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and replace our trust in Christ for salvation. Well, that's simple enough. We know this. We, we talk about this all the time. It's our willing response to the gospel call 
in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. Okay, we're in the we're talking about the doctrine of salvation and in the scriptures, and this is we're on this now. Okay, regeneration, conversion. Conversion means turning. So you're spiritually turning from sin to Christ. Turning, that's the key word you need to keep in your head. Turning from sin is called repentance. Turning to Christ is called faith. And we'll look at both these elements. Okay? All right, A, true saving faith includes knowledge, approval, and personal trust. True saving faith, we'll talk about what these mean, include knowledge, includes knowledge, approval, and personal trust. We're not saved by works. I'm not saying that, okay? Everybody knows that. First of all, knowledge is not enough. Not, not enough. Salvation involves more than mere knowledge. Knowledge is necessary. We need a certain amount of knowledge in order to understand the gospel. What do we need to know? If I'm a lost person here and I'm, I don't know anything about, you know, what, you know, about the Bible at all, really. I, I, you know, my, I was baptized as a baby. I left the church years ago. I don't care about any of this at all. What, would you t what do I need to know in order to have the information necessary to be saved. What do I need to know? Do I need to know about the, the millennial kingdom to be saved? Not really. Okay, I need to know I'm a sinner. What? Hey, God's holy? I'm not. Turning for my sin. Okay. Being born again. Okay. Um, so there's a certain amount of knowledge, faith in Christ alone, right? Christ died for my sins, Christ rose again. So there's a certain amount of knowledge we have to have, uh, but knowledge alone, the facts alone are not enough, you know? People can hear facts, but it can bounce off. So, you know, people, because people will say, yeah, I know about that. Well, well, how come you, you haven't responded to it at all? So you know about it, so that didn't do you any good, right? So uh, it's good that you know about it, but look at Romans 132. Yeah, all the time we see this, right? We encounter this. There's a lot of religious people out there. They know a lot about, they know something about religion. That's about it. Look what these people in Romans chapter 1 knew. Romans 132, although they knew, they know the ordinance of God. Isn't that interesting? They know it. They know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. <clears throat> all the evil he's talking about. They not only do the same evil things, they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So they know what God says. They know it. They're well acquainted with it. They, have no, they don't want anything to do with it. So knowledge alone is not enough. Um, what, what does James 2.19 say? Who else knows something about God? Who else knows something about God? What's that? The demons, right? Demons uh, believe and they also tremble, right? In fact, they have more fear of God than maybe some Christians do. I don't know. Uh, so-called, but the demons know something. They have knowledge, but it's not good enough because all they do is have a certain amount of knowledge to the point of even fearing. But that, that stops there, see? There's no, then there's no acquiescence to God's will, right? So knowledge alone is not enough. It's necessary, it's important, but not enough. Number two, knowledge and approval are not enough. Knowing the facts and approving of them or agreeing, them, agreeing with them is not enough. Just approve, simply approving of them from an outward kind of perspective. Look at John 3, 2. <clears throat> John 3, 1 and 2. This is what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about that kind of agreement. 
just simply having an approval of it. John 3, 1 and 2, Now there was a fair man of the Pharisees <clears throat> named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. How about that? We know that you have come from God as a teacher? Who's we? He's a, this guy's in the Pharisee group here. They don't want to acknowledge Christ at all. But he's thinking, I'm getting the impression that some people secretly are thinking, this is, but he just says this, is all he says. We know you're, for no one can do these signs that you, that you do unless God's with him. But then Jesus says, well, you've got to be born again. So Nicodemus knew certain facts about God, Christ, and he approved of these certain facts, and yet he wasn't born again. So those things are possible. A person can know, a person can approve even, look approvingly upon, oh, you guys go to church, this is great. I got a person right now, we need to pray for this individual that's been coming here, unsaved. He's been coming to my, well, I won't go into a bunch of detail here. We need to pray for this individual, and uh, this person will tell you he wants to walk the right way and all this, but he's not saved yet. I'm hoping that he will get saved, and we're praying for that. This, this happens all the time. Um, go to Acts 26. Acts 26. I love when Paul is talking to these guys at the end of Acts, the, the leaders, you know, the kings and so on, and, and all the stuff that's happening at the end of Acts is always interesting to me. And now he's before King Agrippa. And uh, he's talking about Christ suffering and dying and rising again and so on. And Festus finally says, you're out of your mind, Paul. You're great learning. He's driving you mad. <laughs> he says, I'm not out of my mind. Most excellent Festus, I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these things. I speak to him in confidence. Verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do because King Agrippa had, a, he understood and he had studied this religion, okay? He says, I know you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you'll persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, or almost, the King James almost thou persuaded me to believe? 29, Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or long, not only you, but also all who hear me, this day might become such as I am except for these chains. In other words, with the exception of the, uh, of the fact that you guys have me as a captive here, I wish you guys were just like me. In other words, I wish you were saved. Yes, I wish you were saved. That's what I'm telling you. And, and, and Agrippa says, wow, yeah, I know about the prophets. I know about the Old Testament stuff. I'm acquainted with... <coughs> <coughs> with this stuff, but it's not enough. Just to, he didn't. He, he stopped short. <coughs> Had this uh, apparently this uh, pollen-driven cough lately, which I mean, insane. It's just a cough. It's nothing else. It's just kind of bizarre. Nothing else has happened. No sore throat. Nothing. Um, anyway, <coughs> so you can you can go so far, but not all the way. So number three, I must decide to depend upon Jesus to save me personally. I must decide upon him to save me personally. That's where you've got to get to that point. So you're no longer an observer. <clears throat> you're no longer approving of Christ only or agreeing with him or saying, oh, it's nice that you're religious or anything like that. You're actually committed to him. And so Grudem says saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ as a living person <clears throat> for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. And Leon Morris says, faith for John, for the John the writer of the Gospel of John, is an activity which, makes, which takes men right out of themselves and makes them one in Christ. So we're, we're not talking about just an intellectual ascent <coughs> to where a person 
where a person is, uh, can you hear me? You know, I've had people make intellectual sense to the gospel. Have you ever had that happen when you witness somebody? <coughs> Usually it's attacks me at nighttime, uh, the last eight nights in a row. Uh, anyway, uh, I talked to a guy one time in high school. Um, I was 17, he was 17. And uh, he went to uh, the Catholic high school here. What's it called? Um, <coughs> Jesuit. And uh, his name was Alan. <coughs> we both played, we liked to play football together and stuff. And uh, I said, Alan, we were at a football game one time at Jesuit. I said, so uh, I asked him about, did he, if he knew if he would die, would he go to heaven? He said, he didn't know. He's a Catholic. So I talked to him and, you know, Back then, I was getting people to pray a prayer or trying to, you know, and he did that. You know, that guy, he's been the same ever since. He never changed. Nothing happened. It was just an ascent, you know, just to get me, maybe to make me happy because we were friends, whatever. That's all it was, nothing more. <clears throat> it's got to be something more than that. Faith, the real faith is, you see the guy committed. He's committed to Christ after that. It truly is. <clears throat> so Jesus speaks of people coming to him. Look at John 6.37. John 6.37. Now, I've talked to nurses about this, by the way, Bob. They got me. They got me squared away here. They're just telling me it's, don't worry about it. So, John 6.37. We have like three nurses in our church, which is a good thing. John 6.37. All the Father gives me will come to me, right? When it comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So, if, if a person is going to be truly saved, he's going to come to Christ. He's not just going to say, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. I believe in this. Or, no, he's going to actually come to Christ. Look at 737, John 737. <clears throat> now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink again. <clears throat> You're coming to Christ, right? Well, we've got a lot of activity going on out there. Go to Matthew 11, 28. Can, uh, Dave, can you see what they need out there? They look like they need to get in here. There's a bunch of people out there that don't know if they're, they have to practice or what they need to do. <coughs> Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my joy upon you. Learn from me. I'm meek and uh, gentle in spirit, right? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So you have to actually come to Christ. So all three elements are necessary for a true salvation. That is not a work salvation.